Just making sure you're still ticking. Well, hey, we're in a new series. My name is Steve Haney. I am one of the pastors here at Christ Center. And I have seen a lot of new faces just pop in. And I want to just take a moment and say, if you're new here, we are so glad you're joining us. We're just so thrilled that you would take a few moments of your day and spend with us, hopefully to be inspired and encouraged by God's word. And uh, hopefully you felt his presence this morning. And whether you're online or you're here today, we do not take for granted that you have chosen uh, to worship with us today. We're so grateful. As a matter of fact, at the end of service, I'll be back there somewhere. If you're new, I would love to just say hi to you. So just come find me wherever I'm at. We're in a series called I Quit. Turn to your neighbor and say, I quit. Come on, you want to say it. I quit. (laughs) Now the thing is, whenever you stop a habit, you got to replace it. You just don't stop. You have to replace. So the idea is that we quit the bad stuff so that we can start the good stuff. Now, um, you don't see this, but actually I have been given some parameters up here because apparently last week I wandered a little bit too far. So there's some tape up here and I can only go uh, so far on the screen before it goes off. So um, I'm going to try to stick with my little barrier today, and we'll see how I do. I'm not promising anything. Today, um, we're in a, in a message called, I Quit Grumbling. So, uh, yes, um, and whenever I teach on something, it seems as though God works me over in the week prior to me teaching on that subject. So naturally, this week, all the lines were a lot slower in the grocery store, People seem to travel much slower in front of me in my vehicle. Um, I mean, it's just like there were so many more opportunities for me to grumble this week. And I'm like, but I'm preaching on grumbling. I can't grumble. But it is something that we all deal with, grumbling. And, uh, and so I'm excited today to talk about grumbling, and I believe there's some ways that we can overcome it because it is certainly not a good thing to do. Um, But I was certainly tested on it this week. Let's just say that. Um, Immensely so. There was a a man and he really wanted to get close to God. So he decided he would take a vow of silence. And he would just close his mouth and want to hear from God. So he actually went to a monastery and he met with the superior and he took his vow of silence. And for 10 years he said not a word. Can you even imagine? Not a word for 10 years. And his superior summoned him into uh, his uh, office, and he said, it's been 10 years, you've been here, and I just wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to share briefly how you're feeling, how you're doing. And he said two words, food bad. And then off he went. Ten more years later, the superior invites him in, and he says, again, we just want to give you an opportunity to just share, you know, what's on your heart, what you're feeling, and he said, bed hard. 
Ten more years go by, he's invited back in, superior invites him in. He says, how are you doing? How are things going? And two more words, I quit. He says, of course you quit. All you've done since you got here is complain and grumble. <laughs> now, I think most of us would agree that if all we did was in 30 years we had six words of grumbling, how many of you would be okay with that? Huh? How many of your spouses would be really okay with that? It is so easy to grumble. And what is grumbling? Uh, in the Hebrew, grumbling is actually defined, it's a word called yelan, and it means to murmur, complain, or growl. I, I, growl. You, know, you, you just want to growl at someone right now? Just go, grrr, growl. You can do that. You can growl at your neighbor if you want. If you're online, hey, type in, grrr. You know, that's okay too. But it's growl, grumble, complain, murmur, grumbling. And it's actually made up of three Hebrew words. And the first word is uh, yod. And it's actually a letter in the Hebrew. And normally it means a firm foundation. But because of the other two words... It is a lack of a foundation. And here are the other two words. The second word is lamed, and it means a narrow view or self-focus. And then lastly, noon, which means a lack of faith. And so because of a lack of faith and because a, of a self-focus or a narrow view, you have a shaky foundation. That's what grumbling is. And basically, there are two ways that we deal with suffering or bad things in our life. And the first way is that we try to change it externally. Okay, so let's say you're single. And you don't like being single. You'd like to be married. And you have this suffering because you're single. And so the way that you deal with that is you change your external world and you get married. And that solves all the problems, right? Why are you laughing so hard? No, it doesn't. Because now you're married, but you want to be happily married. So you ha the only way to solve that problem externally is to become happily married. So you go to counseling, you take some wedding marriage courses, and, and you do things to become happily married. Or maybe you're sick. You've been diagnosed with something, and you're, you're suffering. And the only way to deal with that is to externally change it, and that is to get cured. Well, it seems so simple, doesn't it? What, what we do with our outward situation, our external, is not, it's not always possible to fix it, is it? You might want to get married, but the opportunity may not be there. You may not be able to change that externally. You want to be happily married, but that takes work, and it doesn't happen overnight, and so you can't immediately change that. Or if you are uh, sick, and you're dealing with something in, in the physical, and you want to be well, you've gone to the doctors, you've taken your medicine, but there's not always an external answer for that. So the only other way to deal with our suffering or the bad things that happen with us is to change it internally, our internal world. And the Apostle Paul actually learned how to do this. And there's a scripture that he shares with us that I want to read today. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation. Let me just read that again. I have learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. See, he couldn't always change his external world. He was shipwrecked three times. I think after a few times, I would stay off the ships. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned with rocks, and yet, somehow, through Christ, internally, he learned, I don't need to grumble. And let's talk about grumbling for a minute. It says, so the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? And then the psalmist says about the Israelites that, in the wilderness, they grumbled in their tents, and they did not obey the Lord. I want you to understand the context by which they're grumbling here. God heard their cries while they were slaves in Egypt, laboring under the heavy yoke of Pharaoh. They cried for deliverance as the Pharaoh is pressing his yoke upon them, making them work seven days a week, Hard labor. In some instances, even killing their children. And they're crying out for deliverance. And God sends plagues into Egypt, and the Pharaoh relents, and he lets them go. God did that. And then once Pharaoh let him go, he changed his mind, and he went after them with chariots. And they came to the Red Sea. And they were stuck. And God's guiding them, by the way, fire by night, cloud by day. So God set them free. He's guiding them. And then Pharaoh's after them. He parts the Red Sea. They travel across it on dry land. Pharaoh's army goes behind them. And the water comes over the top of them. They're completely delivered. But now they're hungry. And so what does God do? In the morning, he provides for them Wafers with honey, like it's called manna. Its actual translation is, what is this? <laughs> what is it? God provided them this amazing food. Everything they needed when they cried out, God provided. And what do they do? They go into their tents and they grumble. And they say, we have nothing to drink. Now, do you think if they would have cried out to God who has been faithful to them every single moment, he would have answered? Yeah, but they don't. They grumble. And grumbling is actually forbidden in the Bible. It says, do everything without grumbling or complaining so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Do how many things? Everything. Now, do I think the Apostle Paul really meant everything there? Do everything without grumbling and complaining? I actually do think he meant do everything. But specifically, he was talking about the previous verses, and let's take a look at them. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. 
Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. So when you are trying to be humble and you are valuing others above yourself, do it without grumbling or complaining. And then let's move on. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So when you are looking out for other people and you're looking for their best interest, that's not always easy, but do it without grumbling or complaining. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. When you serve other people, don't grumble. Don't complain. Being made in, the human, in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. When you humble yourselves and serve others, don't grumble. When you are building and, and encouraging other people, don't grumble. When you are uh, humbled to be what God says that you're supposed to be in obedience to him, it says, even death on a cross, don't grumble. It's forbidden in the Bible. It goes on to say, and this is talking specifically about the Israelites. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality if some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Wow. Sexual immorality, idolatry, testing Jesus, and grumbling. That's up there with some pretty heavy-hitting sins. There is something about grumbling that is not good. It is, it is harmful to the soul. And why is grumbling so destructive? What is so destructive about grumbling. Let's take a look at why grumbling is so destructive. Number one, grumbling is so destructive because it's contagious. How many of you know how easy it is when a few people are talking and they start grumbling about something and all of a sudden you just kind of, hmm, let me in on some of this. And it's so easy to get caught up in that gossip and grumbling and complaining it's almost like you're drawn into it. It's so easy to get sucked in. It says the people fell into grumbling over their hard life. God heard, and when he heard, his anger flared. The riffraff among the people had a craving, and soon they had the people of Israel whining. Why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt, and we got it for free. <laughs> Got it for free? Really? What happened? It started with the riffraff. And then pretty soon, it spread like wildfire. And pretty soon, everyone was grumbling and complaining. 
everyone. Emotions are incredibly contagious. They did a study once, and they, they, they had some people take some surveys, and, and they discovered that out of this group of a, a lot of people, that many of them were depressed. And so they connected and they paired the depressed person up with the undepressed person. And all the undepressed person had to do was stare at the depressed person. All the depressed person had to do was stare at the undepressed person. And you know what they found out almost to the person? After five minutes, they all got up and left. The undepressed person had become depressed. It's contagious. Our emotions, our grumbling, it's contagious. And grumblers don't typically travel alone. They need others to both hear their grumbles and to amplify them. Usually grumblers attract other grumblers. They draw them in. It's contagious. That's why it was so destructive. That's why it's one of the things that God despises was the grumbling. It's also destructive because it causes amnesia. See, when you grumble, it's so easy to forget all of the things God's done in the past for you. Because all you're focused on is the issue in front of you. What's making you upset or what's causing you to be mad. They said, why can't we have meat? We ate fish in Egypt and we got it for free. Did they get it for free, really? No, they didn't get it for free. They slaved. Some of them were murdered. Heavy yoke on them. But when you grumble, all you focus on is what's bad and you forget what God has done for you. And grumbling is destructive because it is self-focused. You see, it's typically centered on me and what makes me unhappy. But remember what we read that the Apostle Paul wrote? That as you're serving others, as you're humbling yourself, as you're becoming obedient, do all that without grumbling and complaining. That's not self-focused, that's other-focused. But in the midst of doing that, we can allow ourselves to enter into a spirit of, of unthankfulness and we can begin to grumble. And whether it's God or another human being, it can be so easy to grumble against them, to allow bitterness to step in, to place the blame on other people. And the danger is that we can become comfortable with grumbling. That's the real danger. The real danger is it becomes a habit in our life. Now, we may call it venting or we may call it uh, being honest. I'm just going to be honest with you or I'm going to be real. This is what I'm feeling. Or we may, I want to get it off my chest or, hey, let's pray about something. But when you boil it down, it's grumbling. It's called grumbling. And how do we overcome that in our lives? How do we overcome it? Number one is to have a spirit of gratitude. How many of you have a love-hate relationship with passwords? Anyone in here also? Oh, yeah. You're my people. You are my people. I don't like passwords. Now, I like them in the sense that they, they secure some things. But here's what I don't like. I don't like that, 
that I finally find a password that I can remember, and then when I have to reset it, it has to be a different password. Oh, some of you, are, you get what I'm talking about, right? Or, or you finally get the password that you really like, you finally can remember, you think it's a pretty decent password, and then they say you have to have a capital letter in it. So then you put one with a capital letter in it, and then the next place that you go, now they're asking not only for a capital letter, but they're asking for four digits. And then the next place you go, they're asking for a special character to be added onto the list. So now you've got a capital letter, four digits, uh, and some, a special character. And now you've got a list of 30 or 40 passwords that you've got to somehow remember. And then you make a password for your password list so that no one gets into your password list, and you forget that password. I, I, I don't have a love-hate relationship. I have a hate relationship with passwords, let's be honest. But I'll give you one password that's worth remembering. It's a password to the presence of God, and it's called gratitude. God loves it when you pour out a grateful heart to him. It is beautiful to him. The Bible says to make a joyful shout to the Lord. All you lands, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Gratitude. You want to overcome grumbling? Be grateful. Recount what God has done. I'll be honest with you. Uh, this last weekend, my wife and I, we had a rough weekend. And, and this morning, we, we prayed together. And she hadn't even heard the message yet. You know, I don't, I don't practice on her, you know. I don't want to think this is all directed at her, you know. But she did exactly what I'm talking about this morning in our prayer time. She recounted God's faithfulness and all the things we should be grateful for. And it broke off a yoke off of us. Just that spirit of gratitude. And what's interesting, it says, uh, make a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't say, have a joyful feeling. It says, make a joyful noise. And I believe that's very, very purposeful. Because it's not about feelings. It's about faithfulness. And you can be grateful and still feel horrible. But you can have a spirit of gratitude. And it will break off a yoke of grumbling. And it's easier to act yourself into a feeling than to feel your way into an action. That is so true. Because our feelings are so misleading. They lead us astray. But your actions is an act of faith. You're stepping out in faith. Another way to overcome grumbling is with another G word, and it's called groaning. You see, groaning is a desperate cry for God to help you. That's what groaning is. And during this long period in Egypt, the king died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And the cry for help because of the slavery went up to God. And God heard the groaning 
And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. You see, he, he heard the groaning. Now, he heard their grumbling, too, and it caused a little different reaction. The psalmist said, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? I am worn out from my groaning. The writer of Lamentation says, arise, groan in the night. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lord, Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? You see, you have these two words, grumbling and groaning. And there's a difference between the two words. You see, groaning is done in prayer in God's face. It's to him. It is anguish mixed with trust. Groaning draws God's compassionate attention. People were typically on their knees in prayer when they groaned. Groaning is productive. Job said it like this, though you may slay me, still I will trust in you. Wow, those are heavy words, aren't they? If you've ever read Job and you've seen the suffering he endured, though you slay me, still I will trust in you. See, that's groaning. Groaning is in the face of God. It is in the face of God. It's not behind his back. It's just pouring out your heart, pouring out your spirit. But grumbling, on the other hand, is done in the tense in isolation. It is done in mistrust. Grumbling is done behind God's back or behind someone else's back. And grumbling draws God's disciplinary response. You see, whereas groaning calls for God's compassionate response, grumbling calls for his disciplinary response. Grumbling is destructive. See, this is what Moses did. Moses heard the whining. All those families whining in front of their tents. God's angel blazed up. Moses saw the, the things were in a bad way. Moses said to God, why are you treating me this way? What did I ever do to deserve this? Did I conceive all these people? Was I their mother? So why dump this responsibility on me? Why tell me, carry them like a nursing mother, carry them all the way to the land you promised their ancestors? Where am I supposed to get meat for all these people who are whining to me? Give me meat, give me meat. I cannot do it by myself. It's too much. All these people, if this is how you intend to treat me, do me a favor and kill me. <laughs> wow. I've seen enough. I've had enough. Let me out of here. Now he bordered grumbling, but he never got there because he was pouring out his heart to God, to God's face. The reality is God knows how you feel. It's not a surprise to him. He knows your heart. He knows your hurt. Lay it out to him. That's called groaning, and it's okay. Groaning is good because you're facing God. That's why groaning is good. It's done in his face. Job, when you read the book of Job, you see him up and down, up and down, up and down. But the thing is, he's always in God's face. Moses is always in God's face. And in the midst of their suffering, they have faith and they trust. They recount the good things. And that's why groaning and gratitude overcome grumbling every time. The Bible says we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. 
And not only the, the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. You see, all of creation is groaning. It knows it's under a curse. It knows there's death. And that whole second law of third, thermodynamics jazz, all that's happening now. And all of creation is groaning. Paul goes on to say, and we groan. We groan inwardly. We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, people groan, creation groan, God's, God's people groan. But look at this. Sometimes our groaning when we're God's people is because we think that somehow we're promised something better. That somehow we've entered into some kind of bargain with Jesus, that our life is going to be perfect and it's going to go great. I'll, I'll say this. Sometimes I feel like I, I suffer more when I follow Jesus. Because obedience requires sacrifice. And so I'll tell you this, if you think that just following Jesus is going to take your suffering away, you're sadly mistaken. But we have someone to walk through it with who will never leave us or forsake us. Creation groans, people groan, we groan. But look at this. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. Creation groans, people groan, people of God groan, and God groans. God Himself groans. When you are groaning, when you're suffering, the Holy Spirit is groaning with you. The Bible says that Jesus Himself is interceding with you. When you lay out your heart and your burden before the Lord, God is groaning with you. He loves you. And some of the most mysterious words ever spoken on the cross and in the garden were when Jesus was at his emotional, physical, spiritual end of themselves, himself. It says he groaned out a cry. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Please let this cup pass. He is pouring out his spirit. God the Son is groaning to God the Father. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the suffering, when he just wants the cup to pass, when he wants it to be over, he's groaning. And the reality is, he had to endure the cross. But God the Father heard the groan of God the Son. And three days later, God the Father rose him up from the grave. He listened, he heard, and he showed up. And he'll do that for you too. If you groan, if you grumble, you'll get a little different response from God. But if you groan, he's going to groan with you. He's going to meet you. He's going to comfort you. A few weeks ago, we had a dear member of our congregation suffer a pretty severe stroke, Deborah Peters. And I went into in the white coat and the blue scarf. I went in to see her and it wasn't looking real good, to be honest. And I went in and she couldn't talk because it had affected her brain and, and her voice. And she tried to talk, but I couldn't understand her. She couldn't move the left side of her body, but she could move the right side. And 
she lifted her arms up and she groaned with words I couldn't understand. But I could feel the Holy Spirit groaning inside of her. And God was meeting her in the midst of that, that suffering. In the midst of that hospital bed, he was there. And I anointed her with oil, I prayed over her. And I felt the power of God alive in her, even in that weakened state. And then just a few days ago, I showed up in her room. And the first thing she did is she raised her right hand and started praising God. Only this time I could understand her. God was there. And he said, you know, Steve, this has been very painful. And it was difficult for her to talk. She's still overcoming a lot. We all need to still pray for her. But she said, you know what? She said, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this suffering, oh, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I am closer to God than I've ever been before. And he is working in me a story and a testimony that is going to go out. And I saw strength in her. And where did it start? It started from some groaning. If you would, would you just bow your head for a moment? I believe there's some people in this room that maybe you're in a season where you're hurt or you're in pain, where you're struggling in an area of your life. I don't know what that is. But I do know this. If you're faithful to pour it out to the Lord, to just cry out to God, God, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I don't know what to do. God, I'm broken. I'm hurting. This relationship is so hard. And I feel so alone. I feel so isolated. I feel so hurt. And you just begin to grow and you begin to cry out to God with a faith that He's going to show up in the midst of your pain. He will be faithful. He'll be faithful to show up. I want to just pray for you now, wherever you're at. We're going to have some people over here in the prayer corner, and they can be in migrating over there. That'd be awesome. Because there's something about where two or three gather in the name of the Lord. And I want to have this space over here on the left, because there may be some people in here that you just want to spend a little extra time today groaning before the Lord. So there'll be no rush out of here today, no official, you know, we'll pray and we'll close and all that. But I want you to feel the freedom kneel, to pray, to pray with someone as long as you need to, to do a little groaning today, even though it's done with the spirit of gratitude, we can still groan. God, I just pray for my brothers and my sisters, I pray for all those in this room that are under some circumstances and situations that, yeah, just looking at them would seem pretty bleak and grim. But God, you gave this message for them today. Because when they groan, it elicits your compassionate response. And so God, oh, I free you to fall on them now. And let your power fall on them in a way that they've never felt before. Raise up in them a story, a testimony, God, that will shout out for the ages to come. You are faithful. God, we love you. And we choose to worship you. Even as broken vessels, 
we believe you're working in us. You're causing us to share your story with this entire world. And God, we choose to do that. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.